chapter 2, and let's stand and let's challenge the traditional Christmas story. If you've read ahead, you know exactly where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 2, and in verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, stop, wonder, amazement, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem should have been rejoicing, but they're troubled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, because evil Herod seems to believe more than all others, as he gathers all the religious leading theologians of the day together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, because he believes that's true, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He wants to know the day of the birth. And then Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and find the young child, for when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And so when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the west, all of a sudden it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Does anyone see the drummer boy there? He, he wasn't there last week. Father, this morning as we settle our hearts in your word, Lord, we need you to speak to us. Lord, we want a fresh living word this morning, God, from your spirit that you would work in and through our hearts. Lord, that you would speak fresh things from your very old and true word. And that your word, the seeds of your word would find good soil within our hearts. That fruit might be born. That life might be changed. That growth might take place. So Lord, please bless our time here. Lord, help us to be awake. Help us not to be distracted. Lord, help us to be aware of the methods of the devil that we might be in tune with what you want to accomplish in each one of our hearts. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The theme of this morning is dead or alive. If we just let the scriptures speak for themselves, when we get done, 
I believe we will all see that there are people who are definitely, who are dead in their faith and understanding of who Jesus is. And there are those who are very much alive or who are main or in the process of being made alive. We're going to see that. Now, I think you, you will all agree with me that dead men don't, won't, can't do anything. Is that true? It's true. Whereas live men and living men are moving and going somewhere. Is that true? We all agree on that? We have to agree before, otherwise we're just going to sit here. <laughs> now, after Jesus was born, now Jesus has always been living. He's God. Please understand, this is not his birthday. Let's sing happy birthday to him. No, he's always been. Okay, we understand that? He's always been. He's God Almighty. In the flesh, we saw it last week, Emmanuel. So Jesus, who has always been living in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, he is very much dead. Behold, wow, wise men from the east... No, aren't they coming from the Orient? No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says they're coming from the East, and they're coming to life because God's working out there. They came to Jerusalem. I want you to notice that something is happening in the East from the very moment of Jesus' birth. The world is starting to wake up and come alive. And these men, not content with just seeing a star, they pack up because wise men always come to Jesus. You, you see, previously, the world had been dead. The only religion that should have been teaching the world about God was dead. Now, if you grab your world map and travel east, take your pick. Really? Pastor, not, they're not three kings from the Orient? We three kings. No. It doesn't say that. Nobody knows. A lot of people guess, but no one actually can tell because it, this, this is all it says. The Bible tells us all we need to know here. They're coming from the east. They came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? How did they know? Who's been born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east. How did they know that? And we've come to worship him. Please don't miss this right here. They tell us they're coming alive. Hey, we've come to worship him. Dead people don't worship Jesus. Life people do. Now, these wise guys are not kings, like I said. They're astrologers, not horoscope readers, but they're stargazers, and I can guarantee you there is not three. Really? Yeah. Maybe 300 or 30, and that's just the wise guys. They're bringing gold, so they're bringing guards to guard the gold, plus they're traveling from a long distance, so they have cooks and cleaners and servants and soldiers, plus they got all these people to pack all this stuff. So get this picture of three kings coming into Jerusalem out of your mind. That, see, that's the problem with movies and things. They, they cause us to form these stereotypes, but then the Bible doesn't prove that. Actually, it testifies against it. If you want an accurate picture, get a picture of a small army coming into Jerusalem. And they've noticed a new star appear in the sky, it seems, and somehow, because this is all God here, they have come to believe that that star belongs to the king of the Jews. Think about your own salvation. I know in my own life, the moment I opened up the Bible, God was doing a work in my life and started calling me, and I'm just fumbling along. 
until three weeks later, I come to him. That's what's happening here. God has placed something in them, and now they're moving forward. There's those that would say, oh, no, these are Israelis. These are Jews who were exiled. They, they got cast away out there, and they have Daniel's prophecies, and they're realizing, and so they, hey, let's just go. And They don't know. Plus, that's too orderly. Why can't this be mystical and magical that God started stirring in the heart of some men? It's easy for us to understand that. If the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and it is, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes, he does, well, then the Lord can do that with these same stargazers. He can guide them like he guides us. God directs the affairs of these men to Jerusalem. You know that image of that star you have in your mind? That's probably not true either. It's like all of these things were made up in the last 100, 150 to 150 years. Guess where they were made up at? In America. Now, I'm not begging on Christmas traditions or carols. I love them. But you and I, we need to know that just because it shows up on a car, just because it's in a display, just because it's been that way for a long time, doesn't make it biblical. See, religion says if it's been around long enough, it is just as divine authoritative as the Word of God. That's not true. God has called us to test the things, to check the things, to be a Berean, to search the Scriptures, to find out if, if the things that we're hearing are true. Not just because someone says it is true. No, that's why we teach through the Bible. We got to know this. Probably most of the displays or some of the displays are not. When we get all done, you're going to go, oh, yeah. These wise men are seeking our king, and thus they are wise indeed. So what did the wise guys travel on? We don't know. Yeah, camels, pastor. Could have been horses. We don't know, though. So team, we must not be dead in our relationship with the word of God and just accept the works of men without checking them. And the only way for you and I to be able to do this in these last days we live in, because in the last days, the church is going to be going all kinds of different directions. The only way we can guard against that is is you need to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. We all have to do that. And when that happens, as we rightly divide the word of truth, as God's word comes alive in our hearts at home every single day, we become as newborn babies who desire the pure milk of the word that we may thereby grow because we've tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's critical. It's critical. You have, that's why you're here. So we want to allow this living relationship with Jesus and his word to grow in us daily. God's heart for you and me is that we would grow. And if you're not growing, you are, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod's troubled because he was paranoid to the max. This short man of four and a half feet was so paranoid, he killed his wife and his sons because he thought they were going to take over the kingdom. The saying of the day was, it was safer to be Herod's pig than his wife because he didn't eat pork. It's not a Jew, but he just didn't eat pork. Please notice the sad truth of the day in verse 3. Everyone 
is troubled. The Jewish people should have been looking for the Messiah. Daniel had told them the exact day that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. You and I know, because we can look after the fact, that happened 33 years after the birth of Jesus. So rather than be in trouble, someone should have said, hey, remember Daniel's prophecy? If the Messiah has already been born, well, let's see, then that would make him 32 or, 30, or 33 when he go, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. We have that date. Hey, let's go check it out. Maybe he is. Nobody checks it out. They knew. They should have known. It was written. They had the scrolls. The people in Jerusalem are troubled because this group of wise men is like a small army, and they've come into Jerusalem. See, they've lost sight of the star. There was a star moving, and that got them moving, but then it disappeared, but they just kept on moving. And they know how Herod gets when people challenge his kingship. I think the Jewish nation does. They don't want another bloodbath on their hands. As the grumpy old short man that was not a Jew, but a descendant of Esau, as he, as he settles down by, after hearing these things from these wise guys, he realizes if there's any truth to what they're saying, he needs to eliminate the threat. You know, the amazing thing here to me about this Herod is he seems to understand more than all of Israel about the birth of the king. And I get that because God's at work here. Look at verse 4. When Herod had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, who are extremely dead, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So pretty simple, straightforward question. So the leading religious scholar professors of the day said to him, I mean, they knew, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by Micah, and that's Micah 5.2, the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So now, please, help me. Why did Herod gather the chief priest and the scribes? Why, why did he gather them? Find Jesus? That's an observation. He, he gathered them because he wants to determine whether or not the wise guys were true and what they told him. See, he's believing them because they were true. And the sad fact of the matter is these leading Jewish theologians, they never go and see if it's true for themselves. Herod believed they don't. See, I think they've fallen comatose over the last 400 years. Remember that when we started the book, that 400-year period of silence? Because how far did they have to travel to go find out if it was true? The distance from Bethlehem to Jerusalem on Google Map is 5.7 miles today. From where you're seated to Rayford Sadas is 5.5 miles. That's not very far to go see if that's your Messiah. A 20-minute mile stroll, you know, you're just kind of walking along. It's going to take you less than two hours to knock it out on foot. My wife, she walks 5.7 miles every day. She knocks it out in a little over an hour. That's all the farther you're away from finding out whether or not the Messiah has been born. And these leading theologians of the day, they never take one step to find out. Why? Because they're dead. Interesting, is it not? That those farthest away from the Messiah 
were seeking the Messiah, and those closest to baby Jesus, even though they could see and knew the facts and figures, they weren't seeking him. I mean, if interesting characters came with soldiers and servants and presents of gold and were looking for your long-awaited Messiah, wouldn't you at least, I mean, just step into the picture here. Wouldn't you at least make the short 5.7-mile journey to Bethlehem and check it out? I think we all would. Now, before we move on, did the scribes know the Word of God? It's not a trick question. Here, work with me here. You read it. Did the scribes know the Word of God? They did. Of course they did. They knew exactly where to find the prophecy that was given in the Micah scroll. But they didn't care to know him. We've got to be careful here, team. Word of exhortation from the Apostle Paul out of 1 Corinthians 9.27. Paul says, but I disciplined my body, who wrote over half the books of the New Testament, but I disciplined my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. The word discipline means black eye. Paul says, but I black out my body. And he wanted to be led as a slave. That's what subjection means. That Jesus might be the master over his life, lest he become disqualified. The application of these men who looked into the scriptures here is, if you learn information about Jesus, but don't end up knowing Jesus better, then you've missed something. Actually, you've missed everything. If I walk into Bible study and learn facts and figures, but it doesn't do anything in me and my relationship with Jesus, I'm missing something. The common people, the Gentiles, the shepherds, the sinners, those farthest away from the Messiah were looking for Jesus when he came on the scene. But these closest to him, the Pharisees, the scribes, they weren't looking. They hassled him. It's interesting, isn't it? So a lot of that going on today. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, and you already know he's scheming here, he determined from them what time the star appeared. Please don't miss that. Even though Herod was ungodly to the core, he understood that the star marked the birth of the king of the Jews, so he wants a starting date. Wow, he's really into this thing. Yeah, because he's evil. But God's at work here. And so he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah. But the way this is worded, hey, he said, hey, when you've found him, this dead man is certain that they're going to find the baby Jesus. Now, his idea of worship is warped like his mind. Please go and find the baby where he is and come back and tell me so I can kill him. But let me ask you this, team. Why doesn't he just go with them with a few soldiers? You know, they're going to go, you know, just kind of tag along with their... Why doesn't Herod grab a centurion and just go with them? Simple answer. God's at work here. See, God controls the earth, and nobody or nothing is going to get to Jesus or you or me unless it first passes through the watchful eye of our dad. I mean, think about it. If you're Herod and you want to take the guy out, why don't you just go with them? That makes logical sense, but not when God's at play. That's why we never have to worry about nothing. 
because God has it already played out. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, something marvelous just happened. That's what behold means. Behold, listen now, the star which they had seen in the east, past tense, you should write that in your Bible there if you have a hard time with that, went before them, present tense. See that? We know it was missing before. That's why they stopped in and asked for directions. And as soon as they leave evil Herod, it lights back up. And it is going to take them to the exact house and shine. Boom. Here, here it is. Follow the, you know, those searchlights. You see them in some time. You go, wow, I wonder where it is. And you kind of start driving. Eventually you go, oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, it's a furniture store or something. That's what's happening here. Please observe when God shows these men something like he shows us something, he expects us to start moving like the wise guys here. And as they start moving, the star disappears. But what do they do? They keep moving forward. That's what God wants from us as well. When God calls us to something, keep moving. Well, it disappeared. Keep moving. There'll be another star along the way. But just keep moving. Faith, trust Jesus and keeps moving. Because that's what they did. They saw it. They kept moving towards where they saw it. It got them to Herod. And then it reappears. It's called a walk of faith. You and I, we don't walk blindly. No, God speaks to us, and then we live it out. And then it may disappear, but we keep moving that way, and then it reappears. God wants us to trust him. The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Of course, it's had a manger, right? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the what? The house. I remember the first time I read this as a new believer. I'm reading this. I'm going, what? A house? I went to church and said, hey, there's a typo in the Bible. They go, what are you talking about? I said, the wise men came to a house. They didn't come to the manger. And then they explained to me, oh, yeah, there's a lot of errors in the traditional American Christmas story. Maybe that's new to you. You didn't know that. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Husbands, please, look up here. Be a husband. Be Joseph for one minute. If your wife has just given birth to a baby in a cave, and your little baby's lying in a feeding trough, what are you thinking about in the next day or so, husbands? Get her out of there, right? Man, we got to go do something. Knowing Joseph was a just man, if he was a faithful Peter supporter, he moved his family out away from that manger so the animals could settle back into their nice, comfortable house as soon as he could. See, wise people do it when they come face to face with Jesus here. They fall on their face and worship. And yet he's only a baby, but he's fully God, fully human. Don't ask me to explain it, I couldn't. But when they see him, they fall down and worship. Have you? I hope so. From the days coming when every knee will bow down and every, every knee that's bowing will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if he's not your Lord today, you're not getting into heaven tonight. You can know facts and figures and all this stuff like these theologians did. But if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life today, you are not going to get into heaven tonight if God calls you home. God calls the church home. 
Everyone in this room bows down and worships something. Please. My prayer is that we'd all be like the wise guys here. We wouldn't be worshiping things in the Babylonian system. We saw that in Revelation chapter 18. How this Babylonian system wants to control and direct our lives, and God destroys that. We're all going to worship something. We want to be like these wise guys here. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unusual but divinely inspired gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So did you, you see the progression here? Those that God is calling will fumble about for him until they find him. Paul is speaking to the philosophical religious scholars in Athens. This is what he says. God has set things this way that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him. Now, I understand grope's kind of a bad word today, but it means to fumble about. God has set it up this way that when he calls you, the hope is, is that you might fumble about for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You, you didn't come to Jesus just because one day you decided, oh, I need a Lord. No, Jesus was calling you, and you fumbled your way there. So first, these guys respond to God calling them, the wise guys. And those responding to that call start seeking them, him, and eventually they find Jesus. Secondly, those who truly see Jesus worship him. That's what we see at play here. And here at the end of verse 11... Thirdly, those who worship him will set apart all of their substance to him, all their stuff to him. Please notice in our text that their gifts were presented to Jesus and not Mary or Joseph. When, when you place money in the box in the hallway, you're not giving to Calvary Chapel of the Woodlands. No, Jesus is receiving from you and he is crediting it to your account. It's important for us to remember that. You're not following a man. You're not following a church. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these wise men either didn't have any children of their own or these gifts had some extreme spiritual meaning, and they do. Because, see, the gold's for a king. The frankincense is for a ministering priest. In Leviticus, the priest would put frankincense on the various offerings before they offered them with fire and burned them to the Lord. We saw that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, the golden bowls full of incense, which is frankincense, which are the prayers of the saints, were offered up to Jesus. And myrrh, this is right out of the Bible dictionary, myrrh was used as a perfume for embalming. So here's my only baby shower tip of the day. If you show up for myrrh like these guys did to a baby shower, you are never going to get invited back to a baby shower ever again, like in your life. But myrrh here proves what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost knew. They knew Jesus was born to die. They knew that. And they knew it at his birth. Gold for a mighty king. Frankincense for a ministering priest. And myrrh for a martyred prophet. And Jesus was all three of those, right? That matches our Jesus. He was a king. He was a priest. And he was a prophet. No lucky guess here. 
In Luke's account, Joe and Mary take Jesus to the temple to, the temple to dedicate their child to him, uh, to the Lord. The, the law required that. And in Leviticus chapter 12, you were to bring a lamb. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, Luke tells us they brought birds. That tells you and me, Mary and Joseph didn't have much money then. I mean, what would you have? You know, you, you, you leave your trade in Nazareth. Now you're in Bethlehem. You have a baby. You have expenses. You don't have a job, but no doubt Joseph's got a job or he set up his own carpentry shop. But they didn't have much money. Now, I, I pause here because the angel of God is going to show up and say, run, John, run, Joe, run. Take your family and run to Egypt. But they don't have any money to do that yet. But not now. And yet 40 days after Jesus was born, they had to present births because they were short of funds. But not now. Now they're loaded. Now when God calls them to Egypt, hey, they got living expenses. But God had to bring wise guys from the east packing gold because it seems no one really cared but the shepherds that Jesus was born. But we would call this God's supernatural provision. The omnipotence of God is everywhere. I mean, God's east, west, north, and south. He is not limited in his provision. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He's created this new Jerusalem that's made entirely of gold. God is not short of funds. God is not going broke regardless of what people say on TV. He's loaded. And then Joseph being divinely warned in a dream, or sorry, then the wise guys being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. A, a couple of things we can learn from the wise guys here who are very much spiritually alive. The wise men were not content in having seen some mystical, magical star. They wanted to see Jesus himself. And please notice, they weren't coming to get something from Jesus, but they came to worship him and to offer him gifts. That's what it says. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, who was very much alive, in a dream. This is dream number two saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. The, the Greek definition for flee here is to escape. It means to literally run away, to vanish. So can you picture Joe coming to life here, packing things up and getting out of Dodge? That's what husbands do. They provide for and take care of and protect their family. And they always lead them to Jesus. I, I realize that's not portrayed that way in the world or the media today. But it's portrayed that way in God's book, man. That you provide for, you protect, and take care of your families. God set it up that way. See the phrase, stay there until I bring you word? That teaches us that God had a plan. He always had a plan. God had a plan for them before they left. God sees them back into Nazareth. Just like he has a plan for you and I. You know what becomes an enemy 
to God's plans for us, your plans, my plans, our plans will destroy God's plans all the time. And you know what? If we're stubborn enough, God will let us have our plans. But you know what? You miss out on his plans. And his plans are way greater than your plans. The reason we want God's plans is because he knows us. He created us. The Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He wants to guide us and direct us. And you, my fellow believer heading to heaven, this is why we are to deny ourselves daily and pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus daily. I mean, those are his words. We're going to see it as we travel through the gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, hey, you want to come after me? Deny yourself and pick up your cross. What? It says daily and follow Jesus. Now, before we move on, please, let's not lose sight of what's going on in Mary and Joe's life. Joseph is starting to make a name for himself as a carpenter in Bethlehem. Okay, please step into the story here with me. He's moved out of the cave. He's got a house. He needs to provide for his family. And so, no doubt, he's probably either working for a carpenter or he set up his own little carpenter shop. You know, they're moving forward with their new lives. They've settled in. No doubt they're enjoying their new baby, and now Joy is in, uh, Joe is enjoying his wife in new ways. They're both still trying to comprehend all of this that's happened to them. When all of a sudden, this massive caravan, boom, shows up at their front door. But let's backtrack one more step, one more scene, and remind us how God, who's in control of all the details of life, so you and I don't have to. Please keep in mind, Joe and Mary, they don't know the story. They are God's story. God has a story for you. You don't know it. He does. Joe and Mary here, they're just the main players as God works through them. These wise men go to Herod, get some spiritual guidance because the star has disappeared, as we see, God needs Herod, the dead evil one involved in this transaction in a big way. They leave Herod's presence, and as soon as they do, the star reappears. And these wise men follow the star until it stops at a house. These guys slide off the camels, if they had them. They fall down on their faces and worship a, a one-year-old baby, plus or minus. They dump their gold and stuff on the floor. They pack up their camels, if they had them, and they split. And they do not, and they receive a divine dream not to go back to Herod and to re -home, return home an alternative route. I mean, crazy is an understatement when you step into this thing about all these moving pieces here. It's like a soap opera. You know, all these different little things are going on. But you got to become Mary and Joseph here. What are you thinking? I mean, talk about drama. I mean, they had shepherds showing up at the birth, and now they got all this caravan of people showing up a year later or so. But you and I have to ask ourselves here, why does the star quit shining as the wise men from the east follow it? What purpose does that play? Well, I can answer that. God has a couple of prophecies that have to be fulfilled in the next couple of days, and evil dead Herod is a major player in this. So God turned the star off because he needed them to be at Herod's doorstep. 
If Herod is bypassed, God's word will not be fulfilled. Of course, God could have raised up some other evil man, but God used Herod. And at first glance, it looks as if God has a problem. It's like, wow, these prophecies aren't going to be fulfilled. But that's only from our limited eyesight. You see, God just needs this fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, yeah, but he settled into Bethlehem. They got their carpenter shop. They got their new baby. You know, they're probably in the process of making more babies. But he needs them in Egypt. And then not only does he need him in Egypt, he needs him in Nazareth, but they're all settled in. See, God needs women weeping because it had already been written. So God's got problems here. But watch how God works all this out, the players that he uses. He's the one in control doing everything. And as you and I walk step with, in step with him, and it is perfectly executed. And we got to see this and then apply it to our own life. God creates a star. Pretty simple for him to do, right? Yeah. Uh, we got two yes. Okay, some stargazers in the east see it. God places something in their heart. Off they go to follow the star. The star leads them to Jerusalem, six miles away from the target site. They seek some guidance from an evil king that wants to come and worship too. As they leave for their hour camel ride, if they're on them, they go to Bethlehem. The star reappears. They enter the house, they fall down on their faces, they worship and present some gifts. They tell Mary and Joseph about their adventure. Because aren't you going to ask, who are you and how did you get here? Right? So they tell him. And in the process of the wise guys tell him, they say, oh, you know what? That nice Herod guy, but you know what? He was a little weird, but he wants to come and worship your baby too. And then they, you know, they get back up on their camels if they had them and they're warned not to return to Herod and they go home. God calls an audible in verse 13. No doubt the reputation of Herod was known by all, by all. So Joe grabs his family and he immediately leaves. Look at verse 14. When he arose, because he needs him in Egypt to fulfill the prophecy, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. But why does God tell us by night? Well, that's when SEAL teams do their business a lot, a lot of times by night. You know, that way you can sneak out away from Herod. Or does it tell us something different? The wise men saw the star at night as they left Herod. I guess the star could have been out during the day, but stars shine at night. And so if, they, if the star was shining when they left Herod's place, it's nighttime. When they get to Joseph's house about an hour later, it's still nighttime. And it is possible, if not 100% probable, that when they leave Joe's house and Joe has that dream, Joe packs up and leaves that same night. Wouldn't you men? If you knew someone was going to come and kill your baby, would you sit around till the next day or would you leave that night? That's why it says they left at night. Everyone knew Herod was crazy. And I'm a firm believer that Joe packs up his gold, his frankincense and his myrrh and his wife and his new baby and they are gone all in the same night heading to Egypt. And they were there, verse 15, until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. He had to get him there. He used Herod and the threat. But Herod did not make a threat. He followed through with it. 
Out of Egypt I've called my son. Then Satanic Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under. What if you're two and a half? I'll bet you're dead. What if you're two and three quarters? Bet you're dead. He kills them all according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. You see that? That's why he asked them. He believed that. You want proof that Jesus is real? Use the evil Herod here, an ungodly man. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Man, God happened here. Dead Herod finds out he's been tricked, kills all the male babies two years old and under because that's what dead people do. Joseph is in Egypt until Herod dies, and then we'll see next week he's guided out again to return to Nazareth after another vision. I hope we can see how God's using circumstances in everyday life and cruel people to fulfill his divine purposes. See, you may think that's just a cruel person. No, God's doing, using that person in your life to do something. He used Herod. You know, things haven't changed much over the last 2,000 years, team, as you and I daily deny ourselves and walk in the Spirit with your Jesus leading you. That's God's best for you. That's God's heart for you, is that you would deny yourself and pick up your cross and just follow Jesus and let him lead you. Lead you. That's his best for you. I feel sorry if that's not you. Man, you are totally missing out on what God wants to do for you. God wants to bless you every day. He does. He wants to bless you at work. He wants to bless you at home. He wants to bless your house. I mean, God wants to blow your mind. Why? Because he loves you. Because he sent his son to die for you. He does. Don't miss out. As God leads and orchestrates Joseph and Mary's life, he wants to lead and orchestrate your life. He has a plan. It is divine. It is all worked out. And it is perfect. And if you walk down that path, you're going to get to the end of your life. You're going to go, man, that was awesome. The worst thing to do would get to the end of your life and go, well, that wasn't very exciting. You still get into heaven, but you missed out on so much. But I'll tell you what, if I'm going to walk God's plan, it's going to require faith in my Lord God. It's going to. Don't miss out. Before we end, there's one quality I saw in Joseph's life that we haven't mentioned. It's found in verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Man, you have to be Joseph. You have to settle into Bethlehem. You have to have your carpentry shop or your body shop or your electrical store or your whatever. You have to, it has to all be functioning. You got to step into that thing. And then you need to leave right now and go. What would you call that today, man? Leaving it all. What would you call that today? It's not obedience. What's the role of the husband in marriage today? Men? 
self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. Husbands, love your wives the same way Jesus does the church. Jesus sacrificed for the church. I mean, think of Joseph here. He's willing to put aside his career. He's willing to put aside all of his wants and desires, everything that he has, and he puts it all aside to do what's best for his family because that's what godly men do. I mean, no doubt he took what he could carry, but he left his carpentry tools and led his family to safely. I don't know, maybe he took his favorite hammers and his favorite chisels and a favorite plane or something. But when you're fleeing for your life because some crazy man wants to kill you, there's no way you're packing up your whole carpentry shop. No way. See, we can't even fathom that, this. Well, hey, then go read about the Jews escaping from Hitler. They didn't pack their stuff, man. They're fleeing for their lives. During Katrina, when people were fleeing there, it ended up at the Reliance Center. Those people showed up with nothing. But what they wanted was their Bibles. You don't grab stuff when you're fleeing for your life. And so here's a godly man self-sacrificing himself for the benefit of his family. And he does what's best for them. I mean, that's a godly man here that you and I, men, we all want to follow. Amen? Amen? It is. So who are you this morning? Are you dead or alive? The scribes were ignoring the king. King Herod was opposing the king. The wise men were seeking the king. And they that are wise still daily throughout the day seek him today as the savior and master of our lives. Amen? You seek him if he's the master throughout the day. I mean, think about the incredible blessings. You lack wisdom? God says, ask away. Well, no, I, I don't get wisdom. Yeah, because you didn't ask. You know, the scripture says you receive not because you ask not. You lack wisdom? Ask. You're stuck? Ask. You're afraid? Ask for peace. Well, no, it's just the way I am. No, ask for peace. God will bring it. He doesn't say, well, take a number. I'll get to you next week. No, he'll bring it. He will. He wants to. Father, we're so thankful for this incredible relationship that you have for us. 